In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. The gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC, right here on Life Changing Talk Radio, 105.1 FM, WAVA. My name is Dennis Williams. I'm Director of Ministry Relations for WAVA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Folks, today we have on Good News for the City, we have the privilege to share a very special story of a man who was once filled with hate and racism, but has been changed by the power of the gospel and is now full of love, the love of Christ. He wrote about it in his book, Consumed by Hate, Redeemed by Love. So we want to talk about it. And as I welcome my good friend and co-host of Good News for the City, Pastor Brian Bales, I want to remind you and us of our tagline of what we often say, as a matter of fact, every time in this show what we say is, Brian, it's the gospel that makes a way. I think uh, of the shows that we've had a chance to do together over the last couple of years, um, we've had many guests who have joined us in the studio who have talked about the transformative power of the gospel in their life. Amen. Uh, and I'm excited today because when we say it's the gospel that makes a way, um, that doesn't come with a, a but at the end. It's a gospel that makes a way, but if you have this problem or this challenge or this sin issue, yes. it's not yes. sufficient. Yeah. If you have this challenge or this challenge, it's not sufficient. But uh, the very uh, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, we talk about the gospel that he came, he lived, and he died on our behalf and rose again victorious over sin, death, and the grave. When we accept what Jesus has done for us on our behalf, the payment that he made, it changes everything. Even a worldview wherein that is so prominent in the culture that we live in that we recognize at every level is against what God would have. And so to talk about this idea of being once consumed by hate and now redeemed by love, uh, we have uh, Tom Terrence here with us. Uh, Tom is the president emeritus of C.S. Lewis Institute. Uh, after serving for 12 years there as president and then nine years as vice president, uh, he has retired uh, from his position there at C.S. Lewis as vice president ministry for, for ministry and director when he retired of the Washington Area Fellows Program, and he retired back in June of this year. Tom holds a, a Master of Divinity degree as well as a Doctor of Ministry degree in Christian Spirituality. He is an ordained minister in the Evangelical Church Alliance, and he is a member of the Evangelical Theological Society, which means that he's a quite learned man, Dennis, right? So once again, that's what I'm hearing. we, we find ourselves hearing. in a room uh, with a person that's smarter than us, which Amen. is pretty much most of the time anyway. Indeed. But, yeah. Indeed. Um, yeah. Tom, moving forward, is going to be spending his time writing, mentoring, consulting, uh, and spending some time traveling. But his life story is what we're going to dig in today. Uh, is told in a book called Consumed by Hate, Redeemed by Love, uh, and that is published by Thomas Nelson Publishers. So, Tom, thanks for uh, being willing to come in today and talk about your story. 
thank you for having me. And yeah. I appreciate that wonderful introduction, but I, I have to um, give full disclosure. Um, having uh, master's and doctoral degrees generally means you're educated beyond your intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that, that's more the story for me. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I, I appreciate your humility in that. But uh, as, as we dig into this today, I think I wanted to bring that up a little bit because uh, how God has changed you, even so much that you've chosen to give a life towards learning more about him in a formalized uh, way in the C.S. Lewis Institute – uh, you can look up that online and more, learn more about that. But we're focusing specifically on how you're talking about how God's changed you. And you wrote a book called Consumed by Hate, Redeemed by, Lo- Redeemed by Love. And it's your story uh, of redemption. And um, it, it's frankly, it's it's remarkable. It's powerful. It's all of those things. But it's your story. It's not a made-up story. Can you share a little bit about that story for us? Sure. Um, I came of age back in the early 60s when um, the Civil Rights Movement was <clears throat> beginning to gain um, greater momentum. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a, a time of um, real social upheaval in the South. I was raised in Mobile, Alabama. Um, and I went to church like most people down there on a very regular basis and um, – had made a profession of faith when I was 13, but um, like many people, uh, was not born again. Yeah, it's uh, very easy to do that. And um, but I, I didn't realize it. I thought I was saved and going to heaven. And um, so I went on about my business. And when I was about 17 years old, I suppose um, my high school was desegregated. One of the first. And I became very angry about it, um, was given some racist, anti-Semitic uh, literature, sheets or uh, little papers that were being handed out. I read that stuff and um, bought into it mm. uh, and met the people who were behind it. And that began to influence my thinking. It began to yeah. shape my worldview, although I... I had no clue what a worldview was, mm-hmm. that term. I, I was completely ignorant of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you know what that word means or not. Everybody has a worldview. Yes. And mine yes. was being shaped, and I didn't realize it, shaped in a very dark uh, direction. And as your book details, it took you down a path of racism. It took you down a path of hate and, and many things like that. I don't want to give the, the book away, so to speak. But how long did you walk down this path, so to speak? And then do you remember sort of that moment where God stepped in uh, and began challenging you on those things? I do remember it very well, actually. I can't give you the exact day, but um – uh, I remember it uh, because, um, you know, as you take hate into your life, it's like getting an implant, mm-hmm. an implant of cancer mm-hmm. that metastasizes throughout your system. And so I became uh, completely indoctrinated with this ideology, this extremist ideology, and um, hatred began to uh, increase in my life. I mean, it, it sort of went from fear, oh my God, what's happening mm-hmm. uh, in this world I grew up in, uh, to anger 
and then moved toward hatred. Mm. And I got involved with eventually with the most violent right-wing terrorist organization in America, according to the FBI, which was the White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan in neighboring Mississippi. Yeah. And um, that all came to a crashing halt one night when um, two of us were attempting to bomb the home of a Jewish businessman, uh, not realizing that the FBI knew the plan, the place was staked out with local um, what we'd call SWAT team um, people. Mm -hmm. And um, so we stepped into that. I won't go into all the details. The book tells about it. But um, there were actually two separate gun battles. And the person with me was killed. Mm. And I was shot four times at close range with double-up buckshot. Mm -hmm. And um, when I got to the hospital, they said it would be a miracle if I lived 45 minutes. But God spared my life, Uh, and certainly I was not someone who deserved that. Yeah. I deserved just the opposite, but God had mercy. Mm -hmm. I should have repented and uh, turned to the Lord. That would have been a perfect moment for it. But I was so immersed in all of this ideology and hatred that um, that never occurred to me. I yeah. didn't realize I even needed the Lord. I thought I was fighting for God and country. And mm. um, so the problem wasn't with me. I was eventually tried, sentenced to 30 years in the state penitentiary in Mississippi, which was said to be one of the worst in the country in those days. I got there and six months later escaped with two other inmates. And um, we were successful, but a couple of days later the FBI found us and there was another gun battle. And um, I had been standing watch. We were in a wooded area and one of the other guys that escaped with me came and relieved me half an hour ahead of time. Mm Mm-hmm. And I got back to our little camp and tent, and well, within five minutes, ten at the most, there's this incredible um, outburst of gunfire. And it turned out the FBI was coming up through through the woods, knew right where we were, and they saw him first, and he was killed instantly, right where I should have been. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. God had moved me out of the way and yes. shown mercy again. Oh. Yeah. So over that process, um, you know, I, I think that uh, th- this is a show on radio, obviously, so people can't see you or those sort of things. But I don't think if we're going to be stereotypical uh, about what we perceive about people who carry racism in their heart, who carry hate in their heart that has been uh, brought in by life circumstances, life beliefs, whatever it might be, that we draw a picture of the person that I'm looking at here. But yet we know that no matter who we are, no matter what situation it is, um, the Bible talks about the heart is deceitful above all things. It has the capacity to tell us things that aren't true, and we have the capacity to believe it. Uh, yeah, but ultimately, the truth of the gospel went out in your life, um, and you changed. Tell me how old were you or so when, when you began to make this sort of change then? 
I was 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been immersed in this for probably five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should comment on what you said there. That the Bible talks about the devil mm-hmm. being a liar and a deceiver. Yes. And yes. Um, those are the main ways he operates. Of course, we know about demon possession and the Gospels and things like that. But the devil operates all over the world and works chiefly through deception. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in Second Corinthians, we see how he blinds the minds of unbelievers so they don't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he uses ideologies uh, to do that and yeah. many, many other things. Yes. And I think what's interesting is, is that, you know, on this side of truth – you, you made it very, very clear that uh, you didn't think anything you were doing was wrong. You thought you were fighting for your country. You thought you were fighting for God. So it didn't, didn't feel like hate. It didn't seem like it was wrong at the time. Well, exactly. I, I had actually looked into going to Vietnam, um, and um, that was going on in those days, the mm-hmm. Vietnam War. And um, – and then finally I decided I, I wouldn't do that. But it was very much a kind of patriotic American fighting for America, fighting for God and all that sort of thing that was mm-hmm. uh, shaping my thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very deceived. Yeah, so, but eventually God went out and came into your life. Now, all of a sudden there's, there's a Tom that people knew, and now there's the Tom that, pe- that you're becoming, that God has redeemed you into being. Were there those in your life who had trouble believing in this actual change that began to occur in your life? Like, no, nah, that's not true, or those types of things? Or how did people respond? Well, um, I think probably most people were absolutely um, dumbfounded at the idea. And I, th- I think there were two responses. Uh, some people thought – Wow. And other people thought jailhouse religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And um, in prison, you see that sort of thing. And so the uh, people that work there are aware of it and mm-hmm. um, pretty cynical, I think, um, as a result. Um, and so there was that kind of reaction on the part of some, but the chaplains – saw that something had changed, and uh, that uh, was a positive thing. And um, uh, over time, uh, people began to realize that something was different. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just amazing how it all happened. Um, I don't know if you want to get into that later or – Well, we can. Go ahead. Tell us. Oh, okay. Well, when I was brought back from escape, I was put – and the maximum security unit in a little mm-hmm. six by nine cell all by myself. And, um, nothing to do. Couldn't get out for anything. Shower twice a week for 15 minutes. Uh, so to keep from going crazy, I read. What did I start reading? Racist, anti Semitic books that I could order mm-hmm. and buy. So I was digging myself ever more deeply into a hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hadn't learned the first law of holes. When you're in one, stop digging. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but something shifted. I, 
uh, in some of the stuff I was reading, I, I got into some uh, neo-fascist political theory and um, philosophers were mentioned. It spurred an interest in uh, exploring some of those people. And so I moved into reading classical philosophy, Plato, Aristotle, Stoics. And uh, through all of that, which didn't have any Christian element to it at all, I came up with the idea that truth exists independently of um, our wishes or mm-hmm. preferences, sure. that uh, it's there to be discovered, and it has an objective reality to it. And, um, and also, as Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> out of uh, all that reading, I came away with two ideas, that there is such a thing as truth – um, I should seek truth wherever that search might take me, and that I should examine my life. Yeah. Now, I had no idea that this would take me away from my racist ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I continued uh, along this path, um, God began to work in it, and then I was drawn to read the Gospels, and that's where I met the truth, mm. the truth with a capital T, yeah. the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and uh, it was just through reading. Nobody was talking to me. Nobody was witnessing to me. It was just reading. And uh, to show you it was a miracle, I was reading the King James Version. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, uh, uh, you, went, you went from uh, Plato to the King James Version. Amen. That's not too bad of Amen. a – yeah. <laughs> well – so there's this change that happens, and uh, when the gospel comes in, when Jesus comes into our life, uh, Scripture tells us we're a new creature. Uh, but um, were there times in your life, despite the fact that you were a new creature, you found yourself sort of dealing with some old habits? I think sometimes we think of these stories, and think all of a sudden, boom, we're redeemed from this struggle or this struggle or this struggle, and we never have it again. And sometimes that is true. God works many times that way. Other times, uh, it's the process, that sanctification process we read in Scripture. It's a, it's a process daily where we're becoming more like Jesus. How was it like in your life? I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of people are tormented by these testimonies they hear and think, why is my not life not totally changed? Yeah. Well, nobody's life is totally changed uh, at the moment of conversion other than you move from being dead spiritually to being alive. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a uh, – how, how would I say here? There's a lot of um, reconstruction okay. that's yeah. needed in everybody's life. Now, with me, there was an immediate change mm-hmm. in one specific respect. Um, the next morning after I – I had prayed that prayer and given my life to Jesus and asked him to forgive me and take over. I felt a great peace, and I felt like a thousand pounds had lifted off my shoulder, shoulders. But then the next morning, I woke up, and God was real to me in ways I'd never known before. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I... I was alive, spiritually yeah. alive, and I had a hunger for three things, to read the Bible and to pray and to live for God. And those things have stayed with me now for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, that sounds like some 
very extraordinary, miraculous uh, development. But there was an immediate change in my behavior in that I used to curse every other breath. <laughs> and that went away overnight Sure, and has never been a problem. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Praise God. But yeah. I've got – I've been in the process of – uh, renovation for 50 years yeah. and I would say this a person who has never struggled with that old self mm-hmm. the new self and the old self they need to ask themselves if they've ever really been born again because the Holy Spirit comes in when we are born again and he wars and fights against the flesh that old yeah. nature and these two yeah. struggle yeah. Galatians five sixteen. Yep. yeah you know Tom, I, I love that you're willing to come in here and share your redemption story. It, it it it's not an easy thing to do, um, and none of our stories, right? And I do I have the privilege of of being the pastor at Christian Fellowship Church, and a pretty common thing that they'll hear us say or hear me say is, "Look, we have all messed it up, we've all blown it up, we've all screwed it up, we've all sinned, we we fall short of the glory of God." But that doesn't mean we, we want to tell everybody about it. That doesn't mean we want to share those things. God's grace is big enough for those things. But many times people are like, I want to keep those here. You're doing something different here. Uh, you're going out and you're talking about the reality of uh, the hate that was in your life and how you were consumed by it. But instead now the change that God has made in your life. Why do you feel it's necessary to share your story? Well, I think that when we testify to the life-changing power of the gospel. Um, It really encourages people that God is dealing with. And uh, I don't think you want to make a whole lifetime ministry out of um, telling your testimony everywhere Mm -hmm. you can go, and I've avoided that. But um, there is a place for it, and I think it encourages folks, and the Holy Spirit uses it. And I think it's important for me um, today to be doing this because of the times that we're in. Yeah. Yes. So for someone, and we do this pretty often at the end of the show, for someone who's listening, say, okay, yeah, that's so, but the gospel can't really work for me, my situation, my scenario, whether it's racism or any other sort of ism that's not from God. Uh, Would you have a moment just for a second talk about how there's still hope and no situation's hopeless? Absolutely. Um, In the early church – there was a terrorist that was wreaking havoc with the Christians. He was a religious terrorist. Yeah. Uh, his name was Saul of Tarsus. Mm-hmm. Jesus saved him. We know him as Paul the Apostle. Yes. Totally renovated his life. Yeah. And if you want to go in the Old Testament, arguably the worst king of Israel was Manasseh. Uh, just read about him. The Bible actually says he was worse than any other king before him. And um, he led Israel astray. He did – it's just unimaginable the things he did. Uh, and how in the world could a person like that really come to God? But God reached out and changed him at the end mm-hmm. of his life. And he came to repentance, yeah. turned to the Lord, well, tried well, to, tried to um, make – good some of the stuff he had uh, made bad yeah 
Well, on behalf of, I would say, at least for me, and I think I can talk for Dennis as well, thanks for being willing to share your Saul story, your Manasseh story, a story that says no matter how difficult or dark your way was, the gospel comes in uh, and and can change everything. So uh, we say this pretty commonly. I wish we had more time. Yeah. Uh, This is one of those moments, Dennis, right? It's always – it's the fastest 24 minutes of our lives. Yeah. And it always goes by so fast because you want – Three more of those 24 minutes. It'd be good to spend an hour with you, my brother. So God bless you. Thank you for coming in, Tom. Um, it was riveting, man. I found myself, I don't want to say a word. I just want to listen to this guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, thank you. It was powerful. Maybe we need to have him back again. And, yeah. uh, and say, I got hey, plans in my head of how continue. we can do that let's already. Let's continue yeah. this. So, okay. hey, folks, if you want to hear this again, go to goodnewsforthecity.com. You can hear it on the podcast, goodnewsforthecity.com, or go to wava.com, put in the keyword good news, and you can listen to this program again and hear Tom's story again. Or if you want more information, you can give me a call, 703-807-2266. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you again next week. And remember, folks, it's the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of Good News for the City, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.